morning again to everyone, and uh, welcome to Advent. And uh, during this Advent season, if you don't know what Advent is, Advent is the basically month, four, four weeks, four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve and, and Christmas. And during this time of Advent, it's, it's a time for us to remind ourselves of the coming of Christ. And we, we do that by rehearsing the Christmas story throughout the season. So we're going to spend... Um, our time over the next four weeks kind of soaking ourselves in that story and in particular in these four kind of traditional advent themes of hope peace joy and love and what I've decided to do this year which I thought fit really well as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 is we're going to fit these we're going to fit these themes of hope peace joy and love in with the themes that Jesus gives us in this chapter of giving this week, and then next week as we focus on peace, we're going to talk about prayer. The following week on December 12th, as we talk about love, uh, we're going to talk about fasting, which everybody loves fasting, and I guarantee nobody fasted this last week. And on the December 19th, we're going to focus on love by looking at Jesus' words on treasures in Matthew 6, 19 to 24. So today, we begin with hope, and specifically... The hope of giving, the hope of generosity. Um, in the last week and a half, and th- this kind of happened just in time for the holidays, uh, Carrie and I just were really blessed by having two of our major kitchen appliances go out. And our range, and then a few days later, our dishwasher. And so um, last Friday, a week ago Friday, we are, and actually what we're, we have, we're on the lookout for our refrigerator to go any day. And on, on Black Friday, Carrie walks into the, in the living room. She's like, I think I broke the refrigerator. <laughs> and the light had just gone out. So we're still good. We're still good. We've got a new light. We can see everything. And it's still running. But that's coming, I'm sure. So uh, a week ago Friday, we, um, we hooked up the trailer and we went to Redmond. And as you know right now, with all these supply chain issues going on, it's hard to get things when you want them and in stock. And it's just been an interesting interesting season due to all these supply chain woes but we needed an oven we needed a range by this last Thursday so we had we had a week to get one right Uh, we did call one store in Bend and we said hey we're looking at this particular range and what do you have in stock They're like oh we don't have anything in stock we're like okay um, so if we ordered this when could we have it Uh, we could get it to you by February 22nd we're like, well, okay, we're going to miss Thanksgiving and Christmas if we do that. So we're like, okay, we're going to hook the trailer up. We're going to cross our fingers. We're going to pray that God finds us an oven. So we went to a big box store, which will remain nameless. And we kind of silently winced on the way there, just preparing to drop $1,000 on a new range. We pull up to the store. We go in. We start looking at all the floor models. And then the, uh, the gal asks us, the salesperson asks us if we'd like any help. We said, Sure. We're asking about some of these models, and, and Carrie, wise as she is, goes, now, what do you actually have in stock? And she goes, oh, hold on a second. She, she goes to her desk. She brings us back a folder, and it has three pages in it. She says, we have these three ranges in stock, and we have one of each. We have none of the floor models in stock, but we can get those for you in maybe a month, but don't bank on it. You know, don't count on a month. So we start looking through these, and one of them right away won't fit. It won't just fit our kitchen. 
And so that one's off the table. After we've looked at the other two for a minute, she comes back to us and says, oh, the Samsung just sold. So that leaves us with one option. And we're looking at it, we're like, you know what? This one looks like it'll actually work. It'll meet our needs. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles that we were looking at at the, at the $1,200 one on the floor. And it's only $850. So right there, we just saved 400 bucks. Right? So in about three minutes, we, we decide, okay, let's go for it. We'll take it. So we walk over to her desk, and she's like, you guys want to pay for it here? And we said, sure, we'll pay for it here. Um, she starts pulling it up on the, on the computer, and she's looking at her computer. We're looking at her, and she goes, huh, that's interesting. And we're like, uh-oh. Carrie's like, okay, it's not here, is it? You guys don't have it. She's like, no, no, it's here. I just saw it a minute ago. It's here. Uh, let me do this again. So she takes the SKU and puts it back in, the model number. She's like, no, this is, this is right. This seems like the right thing. She's like, but if, if this is right, you guys got to steal. And we said, okay, what do you mean? She's like, well, it's coming up for 200 bucks. We're like, we'll take it. You know? <laughs> it's like, so like, are you sure? She's like, I typed it in three times. I got all the right things. It says $200. She's like, I'm going to call my manager just to make sure. So she calls her manager. Manager doesn't answer. She's like, well, we're just going to go for it. We're like, really? Are you sure? And she said, yeah, we're going to go for it. I'm like, are you sure you don't get a commission? Because we'd love for you to get a commission on this. <laughs> you know? She said, no, it's great. So she rings it up, and then she rings up the, uh, what's it called, the protection plan, which is usually like 150 bucks on something like that, and it came up for $35 because it was a $200 stove, right? <laughs> so we walked out of there with a working stove that looks nice and works, cooked a great, a great big Thanksgiving dinner for $235. And this is not a story about how great a shoppers we are. By the way, what's interesting about this, it's just a crazy time right now. So as we're, as we're driving home with, the, with this range in the back, this $250 range, um, Carrie's like, you know what? Things are so crazy in the world right now that you can go into a store, look at a floor model that costs $1,200, and they, they will basically say to you, you can buy this for full price, and we'll get it to you in a month, maybe. Don't count on it. Or... You can take this perfectly good range for 80% off, and you can take it home today. Which one would you choose? <laughs> okay. It's just a weird world we live in, you know? So it was, it was kind of comical, but it was a huge blessing that we got to do that. The lady looked at us and said, hey, Merry Christmas, you guys. So that was our Christmas present to each other, or one of them. Now, as I thought about just kind of that fact that the, the world like right now just doesn't make sense, it seems kind of crazy... We can't get things when we want them. We can't get things how we want them. It's hard to get the service that we've come to expect. And it kind of makes us feel like we're living in strange times. I tried to avoid Target, but Carrie's been there a few times. And she's like, Target is weird because it's like all of the shelves are empty. It's like post-apocalyptic movies or something, you know. Um, but really, as I think about it, I, I think what's actually going on as we wrestle with this is it actually, to me, it actually speaks more to my elevated expectations of what I should be receiving, what I should be able to find when I go to the store, how quickly I should be able to get something delivered to my house when I click on it online. We have these elevated expectations, and we're really not comfortable admitting that we have them. Because for the majority of the people in the world today, they would never have such high expectations. The majority of the people in the world do not even know what an electric range is, much less have one in their house. They'd be happy to have 
food for the next day, electricity, running water, a flushing toilet. We've been spoiled in some sense to think that we, if we have a dollar in our hand, we should be able in some sense to, to flash our cash and get whatever we want right away and have it now. And we have the same expectations, I think, in our giving. And you're going to have to excuse me for a minute because I got kicked off the screen here. And I want to show you some interesting statistics that I hope will sober us. Oh, there we go. Let's play. Aha. This is from the National Retail Federation. They said this year, Americans will spend in 2021 an estimated $850 billion on Christmas. If you divide that by the number of people in the United States, it, it roughs out to just under $1,000 per person spent on Christmas gifts. Has anybody ever seen $850 billion before? I'm happy to see $850. But I mean, it's just a mind-boggling number. It's hard to even get your head around that. So in America, $850 billion on Christmas estimated in 2021. This is from The Motley Fool, this statistic. 21.5% of Americans go into debt because of Christmas spending. So not only are we spending $1,000 per person, but we're putting it on credit cards to make it happen. And then this was from finder.com. They said Americans spend an estimated $15.2 billion on gifts the recipient doesn't even want. Okay, so, fi- that's fi- so not only we got $850 billion, but $15 billion of stuff that will end up in the closet, re-gifted as a white elephant gift or at the neat repeat. Okay? And it's just this... Just interesting to the statistics on how much we as Americans can just kind of flash our cash in this time of Christmas. We're all tempted to we're all tempted to over-desire, to want more than we actually need. We're, we're tempted to overspend. We're tempted in our giving to overextend. And when it comes to Christmas, I think we do it with good intentions. We want to be generous, right? We want to give good gifts to those we love. We want them to know that we love them. But the question is, is all this gift giving, is all this spending really generosity or is it just another kind of consumerism? Because when Jesus talks about generosity in these few verses in Matthew chapter 6, and if you're not there in your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. As he talks about generosity in these few verses, the first thing we have to recognize is that he's not talking about the kind of giving that we talk about at Christmas. He's not talking about consumeristic Christmas gift giving. He's talking about charity. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, he's speaking in particular about giving to the needy in these four verses. It's It's a specific kind of giving. Giving to those who have the most need. Those who go without on a regular basis. He's not necessarily talking about giving to the church. He's not necessarily talking here about giving to a ministry or, or buying presents for your friends or your loved ones at Christmas. This is not the kind of giving Jesus is addressing. Now, now these things can all be acts of generosity. I'm not, I'm not up here preaching stop giving to the church because uh, the deacons would kill me and so would Charlie Fewbanks. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think Jesus is rescinding that. But what he's specifically talking about here is what could be called almsgiving. 
giving to the poor for the specific reason of taking care of them who have less than we do. And like tithing or giving 10%, almsgiving has always been kind of an expected part of the religious life in Judaism and in Christianity. God commanded, if you remember in the Old Testament, he commanded the Jews to adopt a number of customs. One of them was leaving the gleanings in the field, right? Not not harvesting the corners of the field so that the poor could come along and harvest it and have something uh, for them. And, And God gave them these laws and customs in order for them to intentionally care for the poor. In the book of Acts, uh, Paul, the apostle, went to Jerusalem after one of his missionary journeys, and he went there to verify and make sure that he was preaching the correct gospel. As he went out to the Gentiles, he wanted to know from the church leaders like Paul and James in Jerusalem that he had, he had it correct. And not only did they affirm his message and bring him in as a partner, and they said, we're going to go to the Jews, you go to the Gentiles. This is what he says in the book of Galatians. He says, not only that, but they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so from the very beginning of the church, as the gospel went out, as the apostles went and took the message of Jesus Christ to the world, they also took with them this care for the most vulnerable, a heart for the poor throughout the world. And so giving to the needy has always been a top priority for believers. And in most generations since the early church, the go-to safety net for those who have fallen on hard times, were not. it wasn't governments that were the safety net. It was families and communities and churches that provided for the needs of those who were most in need. And so almsgiving, which is giving to the needy, is to be a regular spiritual practice for God's people. So so Jesus isn't telling us not to give. He's not telling his disciples, hey, stop giving because you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons anyway. No, he says, when you give, do it for this reason. He tells us how to give. So Matthew 6, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now in Jesus' day, rich people would sound trumpets. They would, it's, it's another way of saying they were tooting their own horns. Right? They were sounding trumpets to let everybody know, hey, here's, here's what we're doing. They would draw attention to their, to their generosity. They would take these acts of, of giving, of generosity and taking care of the needy, and they would make it all about themselves, right? Like that relative at Thanksgiving who, who makes every story a one-up story. You guys know this person? Is it your uncle? Is it you? Oh, oh yeah, well, what about the time I did this, right? Or did you, you know, you caught a fish this big? Well, I caught a fish that big. You know, everything becomes about themselves. Every conversation gets turned to them. And this is This is what rich people were doing, is they were saying, hey, check us out. Aren't we generous? Aren't we amazing? And this is exactly what sin does, not just to rich people, but to all of us. What sin does is it takes good things like generosity and almsgiving, and it bends them and perverts them and uses them for the wrong ends. And if we're honest, we we often give for the wrong reasons as well. 
Sometimes we give because we're a little bit depressed and we want to feel good about ourselves. Or we're feeling guilt and shame and we want to make that go away. Or we want to get our name on a plaque or in the newspaper. Or if we're honest, we just want a nice tax write-off. But Jesus answer to our tendency, our tendency to make everything about ourselves, what I call the, the self-centering of all things. We're, we're centering everything around ourselves. Jesus knows we have that tendency, and his answer to that tendency of ours to make everything about ourselves is an invitation into a relationship with a heavenly Father that is so life-giving that it doesn't need to be flaunted. It's an invitation to find our rewards somewhere other than in people's opinions of us. And so Jesus says in verse 2 that the hypocrites, those who kind of flash their generosity in public, he says that they, may be, they do this so that they may be praised by others, that they have already received their reward, which basically means that they got what they wanted. They wanted to be esteemed by people. They wanted to be held in high regard. They wanted to be praised and honored. They got that. That's their reward. But that's it. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't fall into that trap. There are better rewards for you if you follow me. And there are rewards that are from my Father. And this idea of waiting for a better reward really does connect beautifully to this Advent season where we are waiting in hope. And before Jesus came, the faithful Jewish believers of old, they waited for centuries for Messiah, longing and anticipating his coming. And we retell during Advent the Christmas story and rehearse it and relive this anticipation every year and reminding ourselves that we too, we live in a time of, of anticipation, waiting for God to keep his promise that Jesus will come again bringing, as, as Revelation twenty two twelve 12 says, bringing his recompense with him, which means that when Jesus comes, he's going to come handing out rewards. So we should be very careful how we live today and how we live tomorrow because Jesus will eventually give us what we have earned. He'll give us what we deserve. And, and, and some of us will have already received our reward in full because we desired the praises of other people and others of us having patiently and faithfully waited will on that day receive the reward from the Father. And what Jesus wants to do is to reorient our lives and our minds and our hearts around the future, reorienting us around the nature of the rewards that we will receive. So if you look in Matthew 6, a few verses ahead, consider these words starting at verse 19, where Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. In, 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 in that time, where, where moth, neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as you know, if you've paid any attention to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is concerned with our hearts. And he knows that our hearts are attached to our treasures. Our hearts are attached to our rewards. And our acts of giving, when we give in our generosity, 
these acts will necessarily be affected by where we place our treasures. So if your treasure is in the things of this world, if you treasure money and stuff or security, then your generosity will be limited. If you give to the needy, you will do it sparingly and you will do it grudgingly. You will do it because you want something. That you, you think there's a trade-off in it. You think there's recognition in it. You think there's a tax break in it. And if you treasure the things of this world, like money and possessions, then anytime you give any of those things away, you give away a piece of your heart. And that is really difficult to do. Painful. Now, perhaps you don't treasure money or possessions, but you treasure the praise of people. And if you, if you treasure the praise of people, then giving to the needy, your motives will be suspect. Your, your generosity will not be an act of worship. It will be an act of self-glorification. If you treasure the praise of people, then you're willing to give up anything to be noticed, to be affirmed, to be respected. You will trade all the money in the world to be loved. But if you treasure the reward of the Father, if, if you treasure the things that he is going to give you, if you treasure him, then all of your acts in regards to money will be God-oriented. You, you'll view your money with an open hand as a tool that God has given to you to leverage for his glory, not for your own glory. And when you give to the needy, you'll do it because you love them for the Father's sake. You see what happens when we, when we have hope in those future rewards, that hope actually fuels true generosity. So our hearts, Jesus says, are ruled by our treasures, and our treasures tell us where our hope lies. Where's your hope? Is it in people and what they think of you? Is it in money, a savings account, a retirement account? Is it in those things, or is your hope somewhere else. Our, hope, our treasures tell us where our hope lies, and true generosity is fueled by hope. And so, so if you're a person who struggles with treasuring the things of this world, that will lead to stinginess. If you're a person who, who, who treasures the praise of other people, that will lead to hypocrisy. Jesus offers us all who struggle with all those things. He offers us all a cure, and the cure is this. It's the practice of secrecy. Verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Has anybody ever tried that? I don't know that it's possible, right? Maybe you can do this and trick one into thinking, but your mind's still engaged. Okay, this is obviously metaphorical. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, Jesus isn't speaking here about your hands, maybe chopping one off and putting it in the freezer. So that, anyway. As it would be impossible to divide our minds in this way. What, what's been suggested is that Jesus is actually referring here to the, to the biblical metaphor of the church as a body in which we are all members. Some of us are left hands. Some of us are right hands. And as we do life together as a church, as we, as we live together as a community of disciples... We don't need to be tooting our horns when we give. We should all be living generous lives without pomp or show, but in secret, happy that our Heavenly Father 
sees us and not needing anyone else to know. I'll press the metaphor a little bit further here. Our secret giving should benefit the members of the body. So don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, when your right hand is blessing your left hand, the left hand doesn't need to know who was doing the blessing. Like the early church in which nobody had needs because all were eager to take care of their brothers and sisters, we should be generously caring for our own, for our own brothers and sisters within the church. So the question is, how are you caring for your brothers and sisters who are in need? Do you know of your brothers and sisters' needs? The church is the first place to practice secret, hope-filled generosity. I think the second place that the secret giving can take place is in the broader community. So the question is, who are people in your sphere, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at your school, people living around you in this community that God is calling you to love through hope-filled secret generosity? Who are the needy in our community? Oftentimes that we, we turn away from or we don't even notice that they're there. Who are they and how are we seeking to meet their needs through hope-filled generosity? And finally, I think we engage or we can engage in hope-filled secret giving to the most needy on a global level. Each year as a church for the last four Advents, I believe, we've committed to partnering with an organization called LifeWater International to meet some of the basic physical needs of different communities, specifically in Uganda, by helping them with hygiene and clean water. These are some of the, the poorest communities in Africa and in the world who just need help meeting basic physical needs. It's true giving to the needy. And we join together in this, but we can still do it secretly. We can still do this without tooting our own horn or tooting the, the horn of the church. And the beauty is, in this, as we give to people, we're actually entering into relationship with people on the other side of the planet. And Mark and Maria Gaddy have gone and met some of those people. And they're going to share with us, Lord willing, in the next couple weeks about life water a little bit more, but I, what I want to do this morning is just kind of plant a seed, a, a reminder that we're going to be continuing to do that this year in giving to the needy with a hope-fueled generosity. And we generally take that offering on Christmas Eve, and over several years, the Lord has really blessed and allowed us to help drill wells in three or four different communities in Africa. I'd encourage you to prayerfully consider how God might use you for that. So when I talk about hope-fueled generosity, my point is simply this, that hope is what fuels our generosity. Hope is what fuels our generosity. Looking forward to the rewards that we will receive as we place our treasures in heaven, that's what fuels our giving and our generosity. Secret giving is rewarding because our treasure does not lie in our possessions, which, by the way, are all going to burn. Our treasure doesn't lie in those possessions. Our treasure doesn't lie in what other people think of us. Our treasure is in heaven, and it's secure with a loving and faithful Father. And so in hope, we can give, and we can give abundantly. We can give joyfully. We can give sacrificially. 
and we can give secretly because we know in hope that we will have our reward waiting for us. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we're reminded of how good you are and how great, gracious you are to us. We're reminded of how generous you have been to us, especially in Jesus. Lord, you're generous by creating us. You're generous by giving us life. You're generous with the next breath you give us. And oftentimes we take those things for granted and we want more and we desire more and, and God, our hearts get off track and we confess that this morning. We pray that in hope, Lord, you would give us a renewal and a refreshing of our vision for the rewards that you are storing up for us, protecting for us, and that you will one day give to us. Father, may you be enough for us as we give. Would you lead each one of us by your spirit to know how and when and what to give and not need to brag about it or tell others or make ourselves look good, but do it secretly and as unto you. And may you be honored and glorified in all that we do. We do, Lord, pray for life water. We pray uh, for that ministry throughout the world. And we pray, God, that we would be able to partner with them significantly this year and watch you bless these communities as we've been so richly blessed ourselves. God, we pray for this community and the needs in it and those who are hurting and struggling and hungry for whatever reason. We pray, God, that we as a church and as individuals would reach out and give and love and be generous to those who desperately need, both physically and spiritually. And Father, we pray that you'd open our eyes to the needs of our brothers and sisters within the body, that you would help us to know and see how we can meet those needs as a church as individuals, as home communities. And would you do a work, God, of, of making us a generous, a radically, lovingly generous people. Pray all these things in your name and for your glory. Maranatha, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.